know, officially to have an official meeting, but you'll see that the purpose of the meeting is to vote on purchasing this facility. And that may come as a shock to some of you. Many of you know that we've been in discussions about this. Uh, a lot has happened very quickly, um, and, and a lot of, uh, of amazing uh, provisions of God and uh, partnership with Valley Bible Church, who owns this facility currently. And, um, and so tomorrow, I will send out an email. I know you probably have many questions um, uh, that would inform your ability to uh, vote on that as a congregation. What's the purchase price? Is, you know, is this a good deal for us? And all, you know, all kinds of things. If you have those questions, make sure that you're on our email list. That, that's, if you fill out that green card, you'll be on our email list because tomorrow morning I'm sending out um, an email to the entire congregation about all of the, the story and the details. Um, and, uh, and so those will probably answer your questions. You might have more, but we are just delighted that God has provided for us. And so we are sending this email to recommend to you that we vote yes on this uh, purchase of this building. Amen from the back, Pastor Dave. Yeah, clap your hands all the earth, right? We said it in our call to worship. Um, and so I can't wait to tell you all of the details of that and all of the story that God has been um, telling through that. And um, so don't have time to do that today, though. So make sure you're signed up for that email. We'll get it to you tomorrow morning. And then February 23rd is when we will uh, have that meeting, answer questions, and take a vote as a congregation. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to Mark chapter 10. Mark 10, verses 13 through 16. Because we are potentially moving towards this purchase of this building, and it seems like the Lord is moving into a new season for us as a church, um, we are, you may notice that we've skipped about uh, 20-something verses here. Uh, the truth is, we got together with Scott Brown, our senior pastors at our other congregation. We're going to um, poor Mark. Uh, we've, we've been trying to go through Mark for a long time. We keep taking breaks. Uh, we'll get through it all eventually, but we'll be a little bit out of order uh, just for the way that it works out. And he's going to be here uh, with you next week, Scott Brown is, and uh, we're also going to be hearing from Caleb, and I'll be preparing as well for our new vision series that's going to be starting on March 1st, uh, where we talk about what this next page of our story may be, and I'm really excited for that. So we'll take Mark a little bit out of order, um, but we're in Mark chapter 10, verses 13 through 16, a very short passage, but one that has profound uh, impact for us. So let's read these three verses together. And they were bringing children to him, that's to Jesus, that he might touch them. And the disciples rebuked them. But when Jesus saw it, he was indignant and said to them, Let the children come to me. Do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly, I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. And he took them in his arms and blessed them, laying his hands on them. This is the word of the Lord. You may not know that Paul Simon is still making music. Um, Paul Simon of Simon and Garfunkel and Rock and Roll Hall of Famer Paul Simon. Uh, if you haven't listened to it, young people, then you should probably familiarize yourself with that history. But he's still making music. His voice still sounds almost the same. In 2016, he released an album called Stranger to Stranger. And um, there's one song on that album that, that, that sticks out to me. Uh, it's called Wristband. And um, 
I was listening to a podcast just a couple years ago of him telling some of the stories of the, of the songs that are on that album. And he talked about this song, Wristband, and the story behind it. So here was the situation. He was at a show. He was setting up with his band at a concert venue somewhere. And they had gotten everything set up, and it was just a few minutes before the concert was about to start. And he stepped outside to, in the words of the song, breathe some nicotine. Um, infer what you will. And then the door closes behind him, and it's one of those self-closing doors to the back of the venue that locks automatically. So he hears the click, and he turns around and realizes that uh, he's locked out of the building. And so he has to walk around to the front of the building, and there he meets a bouncer. And everybody started to stream into the concert venue already, and so the guy stops him and he says, I'm sorry, sir, you can't come in here. Uh, and he said, what do you mean I can't come in here? He said, you have to have a wristband. If you don't have a wristband, then you can't get through the door. And that's kind of the refrain of the song. If you don't have a wristband, you can't get through the door. And so he has to literally explain to this bouncer, I don't need a wristband. I'm the show. You know, my axe is on the bandstand, he says. My band is on the floor. This is, this is my show. I don't need a wristband to get in because I am the show. I get through by definition. I get through or no one else does, you might say. And then he uses the song to talk about the theme of the wristband and, and how, you know, sometimes we have these status symbols and these privileges that we have and how, you know, you have to have a wristband to get in the door and many people can't get through the proverbial door, so to speak. It's the status, the credentials to get into a place where you want to be. And the disciples in this passage are like that bouncer. They're standing in front of Jesus and they're letting people in who have the wristband. Who has the credentials to see Jesus? And they make the determination that little children, they don't have the wristband in order to get in. They don't have an important enough status credentials to see Jesus. And Jesus corrects them. He says, no, they don't need a wristband. They are the show. Without them, you won't understand even what the most basic faith is. You will not see clearly what faith is or what the credentials even are if you do not look to them. They get through by definition because they come in need. And it's a challenge to us because everything in our world is, is, um, is so status and, and um, standard driven. You, there are certain standards we have to have to be in a country club, for instance. Nobody's really in a country club anymore, but just in theory. Like, you got to get in. There's the status that you, to get into certain Facebook groups, you need to be in a certain status. To have a certain job, you need to have certain requirements met. To have a mortgage. You have to qualify for the mortgage. And so we're used to having standards for the important things in our life. If, you, if something is important, then it has a certain standard. And once you meet the standard, then you get in through the door once you have the wristband. And so we think, knowing what we know, singing what we just sang, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. I mean, He is holy. His standards must be extremely high, right? 
Wouldn't it make sense that if he was letting people in to see him, he would let people in who meet a certain standard? He must be pretty upset with me because I know that I haven't met that standard. He must have some hoops for me to jump through. And so we asked this question this morning. We asked a couple of questions about these credentials for faith. The, the questions are these. What does Jesus require? And then secondly, what do I require? When it comes to approaching God, what are His credentials? And what do I tend to think are the credentials? And that will be the challenging part to us. So what does Jesus require? And then what do I require? So let's look first at this. What does Jesus require? What are the credentials for faith? And he tells us in this very simple story that, that we are required, required to approach him as children. Verse 15. Truly, I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. You want to approach Jesus, you must do this. You must approach him the way these children approach him. And so we have to ask the question, how were these children approaching him? And so the scene is this. In verse 13, we see that these people are bringing their children to Jesus that he might touch them. This was an established practice. Uh, fathers often bless children by touching them. Rabbis also bless children by touching them. So this was common. They're bringing their kids to Jesus so that he can touch them. It'd be a blessing. And the disciples then stand in the way, and in fact, they rebuke them. Verse 13 says, the disciples rebuked them. We don't know what that rebuke was. Something like, hey, you know Jesus, he's been healing people. Like He's got a lot of important things to do. You can't bring your children right now. They no doubt thought that they were doing Jesus just in this enormous favor by helping him tailor his schedule to the most important things. And so, does Jesus appreciate their rebuke? No, the opposite. In verse 14, we're told that Jesus was indignant. This is the only occurrence of that word in the Scriptures. It's a unique word. It's actually a hyphenated word. It's two words put together. In English, if we were to hyphenate those words individually, it would be this. Much grieved. He's much grieved. He's indignant. Because the disciples don't know how far off they are. They are hindering those who give the very meaning of the credentials. What are the credentials? What is it about a child that Jesus requires of us? Here it is. The credentials for coming to Jesus are this. To know you are frail and to believe that He loves you. To know you are frail. To be frail as these children were and to believe that He loves you. To know that you're frail. Jesus always welcomes frail people. That is the essential character of a child is that they are needy. Jesus everywhere and always in Mark's Gospel welcomes those who are frail, those who are sick. All the children in Mark's Gospel are sick. They're dying or they're dead. And He raises them. So He, he sees their frailty. And that's what He is drawn to. Who does He rebuff? Who does He push away? It's the prideful people. It's the arrogant ones. It's the one who come and say, we're not frail. That's who Jesus 
pushes away the self-sufficient. But he welcomes everyone that from some perspective would be frail. The tax collectors because of their reputation. The sinners because of their reputation. The women of the night and children. Those whom the society would say are not as worthy. These are the ones that he welcomes most freely. And it's a good question that we could ask ourselves. Like, Why do we love children? Why does Jesus love children? Why do we love children? Is it because they're cute? <laughs> no, this will not be the only controversial thing I say today. Because not all of them are. <laughs> Mine are. Yours are. Right? But that's those other people out there that the, some, some kids aren't cute, right? I said it. Look, it's it's not, it's not why we don't love, it's not why we love kids. We must love them then because they make our lives easier. That's a laugh. Why do we love them? Do we love them because they can help us around the house? I mean, maybe if we lived on a farm or like in the Industrial Revolution, right? Maybe they were useful uh, for that at some point. Um, but even still, even if they were useful, that wouldn't mean why we love them. Why do we love them? We love them because they are frail and they are ours. But their frailty is part of our love. Just think about this as a thought of experiment. Like, what if, our, what if human beings, just, as, just to get crazy for a minute, gave birth to young who were like seven feet tall and muscular? And, you know, they looked like bodybuilders. And that's the way that babies were. And they already had intelligence of a 40-year-old. Do you still love children? Probably not. Frailty is part of what you love, or at least frailty is the first impulse towards compassion that you have towards a child, and that drives us to a love because they become ours. And so the goal of our parenting, if you kind of sum it up, is to, is to tell children that they're frail and to tell them that they're loved, right? That's what we're doing when we say, don't jump on that park bench. Stay away from that swimming pool. Don't do that. Don't don't go into that career. Like whatever stage it is, we're saying, remember, you're frail. You can be hurt. But also, it's not just that. We're not just protecting them all the time. We also want them to know that we love them. And so that's really the goal of parenting. And so why do we think when it comes to us, when we know clearly from Scripture that God is our Father, that He would have any other goal for us than that? This is the credentials for faith. To know we are frail and to know that we're loved by Him. Because our parenting is just a shadow of His. That we're frail. And that despite that, or maybe even in some senses because of that, we are loved by Him. And so we can be received by Him. What does it mean that we're received by Jesus? There's a couple of interesting things that connections we can make here. First is this, that coming to Jesus is the same thing as coming to the kingdom of God. That's what he, do you notice how he uses those interchangeably? Verse 14 and 15. He says, Let the little children come to Me. Do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. The kingdom of God and receiving Jesus are the same thing. 
And so the way that we experience God, the search that we all have for God, the desires that we have to be loved, known, and accepted are equivalent to us coming to Jesus. There is no kingdom of God without Jesus. That's, what, that's the way that we come to God. We come to Him through Jesus. And notice again also that this kingdom of God, what is that? It's both a present thing and it's a future thing. Did you notice that? He says something very interesting in verse 15. Whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. So there's something that you have to receive now. And then you enter later. There's a credential that you get now that then lets you into something later. And we believe that faith is both present and future. So Jesus needs to be received now. We need to have the right credentials now, and then we are brought into His kingdom forever. So how do you do that? How do you break through the circle of the disciples with their arms crossed and come into His arms? It's the same credentials for everyone. To know you are frail and to believe that He loves you. It's easy. It's not easy. It's simple, but it's not easy. And yet, at some point, we try to complicate things and we, we kind of move our status from those children who are in His arms. And we decided that we are a little more grown up now and we become the disciples who have to protect Jesus and have to guard Him from other people. And so I want to talk secondly today about not just what does Jesus require, simple credentials, but secondly, what do I require of other people for them to be accepted of Jesus? Let's say that you are the disciple standing. Who do you let see Jesus? And who do you hinder? We're breaking through the caution tape this morning, and we're going to go somewhere that I know I will not have unanimous agreement on this morning. But I think this passage teaches nonetheless, and we must look at it. Are we hindering others? And the first thing that we have to ask ourselves are, are we hindering our children from coming to Jesus? How in the world would we hinder our kids from coming to Jesus? Well, how do we approach Jesus now? We receive Jesus every single week in His sacraments, right? Baptism and the Lord's Supper are where we, those are called means of grace. That means that is how we receive grace. That's the practical means that God uses for us to receive grace. And so we have to ask ourselves, are we hindering children from receiving that? We believe that in baptism and the Lord's Supper, those things are not just empty remembrances. They're not just reminders to us like, oh, remember that those are some important things. We believe that God is present and that He communicates. Not His body isn't in these elements that we're going to take later, but it, He is spiritually nourishes us with His presence by the Holy Spirit. And so, are we hindering others? This passage is often used to talk about uh, what's sometimes called infant baptism. And our Baptist friends, those who believe that, that, uh, that baptism should be applied only to believers, those who profess faith, uh, often say, are quick to point out that this passage uh, does not talk about water at all. Let the little children come to me. 
do not hinder them. He doesn't say baptize the children. And uh, that's fair. Uh, Let's be completely fair, though, and say there's not water in any of these passages where Jesus has people come to him. Right? As people come and become followers of Jesus, they're not baptized into his name yet. Why? Because baptism is being baptized into the death of Jesus. So we're told in in the epistles. We, We are baptized into his death. So the baptism of John the Baptist and the baptism of Jesus are different than the baptism of into the name of Christ, into his death. And yet Jesus says, let the little children come to me. It's not exactly true that this is not a reference to baptism because this passage is referenced later by use of that word hinder in multiple baptisms in the New Testament. It's clear that the, that the disciples who were listening to Jesus talk about these children use the same language in later to talk about baptism, the baptism of the Ethiopian eunuch. The Ethiopian eunuch says, what hinders me? What hinders me from being received in baptism. Cornelius, just a couple of chapters later, later in, the gospel, in the book of Acts, says, does anyone want to hinder these people from being baptized? He's using that same word here as Jesus does. It's a very rare word. And yet it's clear that it became associated with baptism. Well, maybe you don't buy that, and that's okay. We have a, we have a policy here, an open policy, in terms of anybody can come here, we'll teach what we believe, but of course anybody is available to come and and believe, but let's say you don't buy that. You're still not out of the woods because you have to wrestle with this fact. What are the credentials for faith? For your children. Let's say they should be baptized and they should have the name of Jesus put on them when they believe when they make a profession of faith. When will you know that it's time? When will you know that it's time? Are you waiting for them to sin in a big way so that then they can, be, they can repent in a big way? Um, are, you, are you waiting for them to have a crisis of faith so that then they can come back and not have a crisis of faith anymore and you can know that their credentials are real to come into the kingdom of God? Because many are having a crisis of faith and they're not coming back. Are you kind of, maybe you, you haven't really spelled it out so much, but there's kind of this subtle thing, like when they get more obedient, <laughs> they kind of obey me more, that's really kind of when I know that God's at work in them. Does God wait for our obedience completely, or even largely before we are brought into his kingdom? What are the credentials of faith? Are you waiting for them to have straight, straight A's in school? What, what is it? We believe and we teach that we understand there is a difference of opinion, absolutely. That the best way to understand this entrance of the children is through their parents' faith first. They bring the children in their arms. It's the faith of the parents, not the merits of the child, that bring them into the arms of Jesus. And so, they come first But their parents' faith, is that sufficient for the rest of their lives? Of course not. Every child, just like every Israelite, 
Even though they were born and they were circumcised and they had the marker of God's people, they still must embrace the covenant from the heart. They must profess their faith. Their faith must become their own. And so that's where we bring in the second sacrament, which is the Lord's Supper, where children make a profession of faith before they come to the table of the Lord. And so they make professions of faith. What are those credentials? Well, they're simple. Do you know that you are frail? Do you know that you're a sinner? And do you believe that you were loved by God in what he has done for you on the cross? Do you have the simple knowledge of those things? Because when you talk about maturity, it becomes a very slippery slope very quickly, doesn't it? Who is mature? Some kids know more than some 40-year-olds about the gospel. We do not want to hinder the children. There is a tension, of course, because as we come to the table, Paul says that we should not eat and drink judgment to ourselves. And so there's a discerning of the body. And so the way that we've understood that is that the elders of this church, we listen to the profession of faith of children, and we discern their faith. It's a tricky thing. We don't set an age. We don't say this is your maturity level. This is your mental status. This is your capacity here. We're defining it here. We listen case by case. We're actually forbidden from setting an age. And so we listen and we decide before the Lord whether we should hinder the children if that's the greater risk or the discerning the body is the greater risk. And that's how we do that here. And I know that I'm creating a zillion questions in your mind. What about my child? What about their age? And all these things. The point is this. Do we hinder children from coming to Jesus? Jesus is here today. He's here. He's present in the sacraments. He's present at the table. Do we hinder them? We also hinder our children, not just by keeping them away from the presence of the Lord, but by not discipling them. And you know that American Christianity is in crisis. It's not in crisis the world over, by the way. There are many parts of the world where Christianity is getting younger and bigger. Here, it is getting smaller and older. And that would not be possible if we were not losing our children. And I say this knowing that many of you have been faithful in parenting and have still seen your children walk away from the Lord. And I'm not speaking this to you because that does happen. In God's providence, it does happen. But as important as evangelism is, and it is vitally, vitally important, it doesn't hold a candle to training the next generation to be Christian. Let's just think of another thought experiment this morning. Let's say, starting today from some miraculous reason, um, no, no other people were, were uh, converted to Christianity, starting today in America. No more. No more conversion. But the trade-off is this. Every single child that's born into a Christian family stays in the faith. By the power of permutations, because Christians have more children than non-Christians do. It would only take a couple of generations before this country was Christianized again. This is just math. It's vitally important. Israel had people coming in. Rahab came in because of the story of God. 
Ruth came in because of the story of God, and she saw this is where God was, even though they were not Israelites, they came in. But Israel grew and stayed strong because they trained their children in the Lord. And they didn't hinder them. So our children need more from us. They do. They need to be discipled. By not discipling them, by not teaching them about God, we hinder them from coming to Jesus. As important as youth ministry is, it's very important, just like evangelism, they need more than a 22-year-old youth pastor who, to be responsible for their faith. They need more than a couple of mountaintop experiences, summer camp and winter retreat or whatever, to grow their faith. They need to be prayed for. They need to be read the Bible. They need to see that worship is not an optional thing to come and worship with God's people. They need to know adults who are not their parents who pray for them and love them. And most of all, they need to see that this isn't a game to you. That you love Jesus. You love them. And by doing that, you bring them to the arms of Jesus. How do we do that? There is a million different ways unique to your schedule that I will not burden you with specifics of how you should do it in your life. But the point of this is to start. Even if it's simple, it's infinitely better to do this poorly than not to do it at all. What if you had five minutes a day to teach your kids how much you trust in Jesus? What if you don't have five minutes a day? That's where you start. You need to have five minutes a day with your children. Who are you hindering and why? Not shoving down theology, a certain perspective this morning, but I want you to ask yourself this. What hinders those people around me from coming to Jesus? And am I, am I, is my criteria the same as Jesus's? The second person that you could be hindering is yourself. When you think about being this disciple with your arms crossed, keeping those out of the circle of Jesus, the person that maybe you're tempted to keep out is yourself because you're pretty sure that you don't have what it takes to be a real Christian. And you leave yourself out of that circle. You aren't grown up enough for Jesus. You're not mature enough. You don't sin infrequently enough. I've been watching football with my sons, and um, you know those AT&T commercials? Just okay is not okay. <laughs> I guess I've seen those commercials before. There's a scene with some professional, uh, a doctor, and, and you're supposed to trust this doctor, but the doctor's acting like he doesn't know what he's doing, and so they say, just okay is not okay. Skydiving instructor. <laughs> These are really important things to have a good quality person, right? Just okay is not okay. And I didn't even realize that my sons were watching this and watching those commercials with me um, as we watch football on Saturdays. And um, we, we have this new puppy, and we were taking him to the vet uh, a couple weeks ago and to get his puppy checkup. And... 
we're, we're talking with uh, the, the intern, there's like a vet or an intern student of veterinary school there checking the puppy in, and I won't mention which veterinary <laughs> service this is, but she, she basically is so surprised we have a little visual dog, and she's never, she had never seen that breed before. And she said, so I don't even know what kind of dog this is. And uh, we're like, okay, you know, bring it to the vet. And so on the way home, my son asks me, one of my sons asks me, you know, what did you think about that vet, Dad? And I said, well, I'll be honest. I was a little surprised that someone who was supposed to be taking care of our dog didn't know what kind of dog it was. And he just said, just okay is not okay. <laughs> Can't teach this stuff. It's so good. There's a standard out there. Just okay, it's not okay. We believe that in all different areas. Doctor, skydiving. We believe it when it comes into our relationship with God. I am just okay. And I, I don't really believe that okay is okay with God. There's something in me that's not enough. I'm pretty sure I don't have the wristband that's required to get into this show. I need to clean it up. I need to be deserving of Him. Let me just read you this last verse of verse 16. What Jesus does with these children. He took them in His arms and He blessed them, laying His hands on them. Jesus goes beyond touch. That's what they brought him to do. They brought these kids to touch Jesus. Kind of like the woman who said, if I could just touch the hem of his garment earlier in Mark's Gospel. And then Jesus turns and gives her his full attention. And he does the same thing here. They come for a touch, but then Jesus, he turns to them, takes them in his arms, lays his hands on them, and blesses them. We have to learn how to stop being grown-up disciples and learn again how to be His children. What are the credentials of faith? To know you are frail and to know that you are loved. And if you were thinking, my okay is not okay enough, you've got the first one down. You know that you're frail. That's good. You have to. You have to know that you're frail. You cannot approach Jesus demanding that He see you as good. You already know that you're frail, but let me speak to you about the other side of this. Do you know that you're loved? Because these children had done nothing for Jesus other than be children, and He receives them into His arms and blesses them. We don't, as much as we think, because of our culture and because of our tendencies, we do not advance spiritually so much by believing that we can do better, by having a streak of good behavior, by growing in our understanding of theological terms, as important as good behavior is, and theological terms are, we do not advance in God's kingdom by knowing those things alone. We advance by returning to His arms of blessing over and over again realizing how frail we are, and yet returning again to Him, 
See, it's not my competency that makes you love me. You love me because I'm frail and because I'm yours. You're frail, but you are also known and loved and accepted. And that is being a child in his arms. We need to return there again and again. Let's pray. Oh, that we would feel something of that this morning, Lord. To cease from the striving of maturity and competency and acceptance on our own merits, Lord. And to feel we really are embraced by You. I pray for any of us who are on either side of that continuum this morning. Maybe we've come in And we don't feel frail. We feel like we pretty much have our life figured out. And I pray for that person that you would remind them of their frailty. And for the person who is overburdened and feeling the weight of their own sin and the weight of their inexperience and the weight of the way that they keep screwing up their lives, Lord, that we would feel again your arms around us and to know that it's not because of our performance that you have welcomed us to yourself. It's because we're yours and you love us even when we're frail. Would you help us to receive that love this morning in Jesus' name, amen.